This podcast is sponsored by FAT, F-A-T-T, a range of keto on-the-go snacks, including cookies, brownies, chocolate bites, bars, fat jacks, and muffins. Fat snacks are delicious, natural, and always free from sweeteners, fillers, and seed oils. Find fat snacks at www.livefat.com. That's L-I-V-E-F-A-T-T dot com. Use the code FABULOUSLY10, that's one zero, to give an extra 10% off one-time purchases. Not valid on subscribe and save. Welcome to the Fabulously Keto podcast aimed at improving health, vitality and quality of life. Eating real food in a ketogenic lifestyle. I'm Jackie Fletcher and I'm based in the UK. And I'm Louise Reynolds, an Aussie currently based in Bangkok, Thailand. Each week we will be bringing you guests who share their stories and discuss a range of topics which we hope will improve your health and well-being. Many of the guests, like us, came to Keto for Weight Loss and have stayed for their well-being, numerous health benefits and because they are living their best lives. We hope you will be inspired to incorporate these ideas into your own health journey so that you can feel better than you ever have before. Thinking about starting keto? Take a listen to episode number two, What is Keto and How to Start? Welcome to episode 172 of the Fabulously Keto podcast. And before I get into talking about our guest, you still have time to join us for our 30-day carnivore challenge. We've now set the dates and we're going to start on the 27th of January with our first call on the 26th of January. Times are in the evening in the UK, early morning Australia and late morning to early afternoon in the USA and Canada. So for more details of the dates and times, check out the FAQs on the webpage, fabulouslyketo.com forward slash 30DCC hyphen Jan 24. So that's 30D for Delta, C for Charlie, C for Charlie hyphen Jan 24. Remember to use the discount code before the 31st of January to get the biggest discount. And that discount code is EB130DCC2023. And if you use this discount code, it's only £25, which is less than $25 US dollars and 50 Australian dollars. And we have six fabulous guests joining us on the calls who will tell you how they carnivore and they will be there for you to answer some questions for you. So do go and check it out at fabulouslyketo.com forward slash 30DCC hyphen Jan 24. So today's guest, I heard speak at the Public Health Collaboration Conference in May, and I thought he would be a fabulous guest. And it it's taken a while to get him on uh, for us to connect. And also, you know, I've got a very long list, waiting list of people to come on the podcast. So once we've recorded, it then takes a while for you to get to this episode. So Andrew Scarborough, is a writer, researcher and long-term survivor of an aggressive type of brain cancer. 
His research is motivated by a passion to improve clinical outcomes for those diagnosed with a brain tumour. In accordance with this, he has a broad interest in metabolic health and in particular the role of hyperinsulinemia in cancer. It's Andrew's belief that his work will pave the way for future investigation of emerging treatments, clinical trials and evidence-based research targeting metabolic defects in cancer. Moreover, results of such study could help to empower patients and provide us all with promise for a better future. Andrew shares his thoughts and details the progress of his research through Substack and his podcast series, The Human Guinea Pig Project. He is currently working on a self-funded cancer study at the University of Westminster and mulling over the prospect of doing a PhD. So let's go and hear this fascinating conversation with Andrew. Welcome, Andrew, to the Fabulously Keto podcast. It's fabulous to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. It's fabulous. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to today because I saw you at the PHC conference and I think your story is incredible. So I'm hoping the listeners will find it incredible too. So we always start with where in the world are you? I'm in London at the moment. Excellent. Which part of London? London's a big place. <laughs> I'm in North London, but I move around quite a lot. So that's why I said at the moment. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> um. So Andrew, when I saw you at the PHC conference, um, I thought your story was absolutely fascinating and amazing. And I'm sure our listeners would love to hear it. So can you take us on a journey to what happened to you and how you came to where you are now. Yeah, so it's going back a while now. In 2012, I um, was suffering from quite bad migraines and I had, um, I was working as a personal trainer and I was just suffering from quite a lot of stress and I thought these migraine attacks I was experiencing was all stress related. And so went to my GP a few times at the time I was working as a personal trainer. So I was very physically active, um, almost too, too physically active. I was very um, stressed and overly alert. <laughs> so that wasn't a good thing. Lots of um, double shifts and to, uh, instructing exercise classes as well. So I had to create this character that was very different from my actual personality, which tends to be quite introverted and quite quiet. And so I was fueled by a lot of um, caffeinated drinks, mm -hmm. even though I was very mindful of my diet and my health. And it got to the point where these migraines and strange symptoms where I felt, I didn't know there were symptoms at the time, but I felt very um, confused a lot of the time. And I had issues with my short-term memory and my concentration. And I went to my GP a few times and he just said, this is probably stress, take some time off work, take these pills. Um, and I did. And over time, it became 
so bad that I was trying to find solutions beyond just taking time off work because it wasn't serving me. It wasn't doing anything for me. Um, and so I decided to go and do um, a master's in nutritional therapy to try and work out what I could do to help myself. I was already on what I'd considered was a very healthy diet. I just moved on to a pescatarian diet thinking that was like the best diet to be on. Mm -hmm. And before that, I was on a heavily plant-based diet, um, but still having eggs and um, not too many egg yolks because I didn't think, I thought fat was, you know, something to be limited, not avoided. So I still had things like olive oil and um, yeah, uh, over time while I was doing this course on nutritional therapy, this master's, um, I wasn't still wasn't having any re resolution to my migraines. They were just getting worse. They would get better and worse. Um, so it wasn't always terrible, but when it was bad, it was pretty bad. Yeah. And then I had loads of tests and I couldn't find anything wrong. I even had, um, I was considering having an endoscopy, but I was too wimpy because <laughs> at, at, at the time I thought I might have celiac disease because um, I was having some gut issues and with the headaches. And so I had a capsule endoscopy because I was too wimpy to have an endoscopy <laughs> and that didn't show anything. Um, so I made some more changes to my diet and it still didn't do anything. And then after going to the gym one day, um, I just lost my speech and then it came back, but I was very confused. And I kind of shrugged it off thinking, oh, I'm just overtired and stressed. Mm. And then a few days later, I was rushing to get on a train and um, I had this crushing feeling in my head and that crushing feeling intensified to the point where I felt like my head was going to explode. <laughs> um, and the feeling was so intense that if I had, if there was a gun to hand, I would have shot myself because... It was just horrific. And I then made uncontrollable noises um, from my, my mouth just that I couldn't control. And I was feeling like something was going to burst in my head. And eventually that's what happened. I had a horrific brain hemorrhage and woke up on the other side of the train. I don't know how long it had been but just on the floor on the other side of the train, very confused that I was still alive because I thought that I was dying. So, yeah, very confused on the other side of the train on the floor, not able to speak, um, having my vision was a bit disturbed oh. and I just remember feeling soaking wet and just um, 
Yeah, uh, then I was rushed to hospital by paramedics. I was say what happened at that point? Did they? I guess yeah, people I just, were seeing you and watching you, and uh, they... I just had muffled sounds. There was someone standing over me. I was to learn later that if that that person was actually a doctor that was on the train, and if they hadn't been there, I don't know why, but if I hadn't, if they hadn't been there, I might have not survived. I don't know what they did. Still don't mm. know. Still don't know who that was, but then um, paramedic paramedics came and got me and took me out of the train uh, on a stretcher. I think yeah, it must have been because I wasn't able to move to the ho- nearest hospital. Then I had various misdiagnoses because there was so much blood in that area of my brain that they couldn't decipher what was actually there. They couldn't see anything they just saw this great big mass of stuff (laughs) couldn't identify what it was yeah and over this period of time i was still having quite horrific uh, i was experiencing quite horrific seizures and i never had epilepsy before so i didn't know what was going on i kept going in and out of consciousness every time i woke up i'd have new injuries I dislocated my left shoulder a bunch of times to the point where it would just pop out just randomly. And I had quite bad, uh, quite severe bruising around different parts of my body. And was that from falling and uh, just from very violent seizures where just, yeah, I would contort myself in not the best positions and my tongue had looked like it had gone through a blender right? and it was just very after I'd had that period where you have this weird sense of euphoria after a seizure and that wears off then I felt that intense pain from all of the injuries and it was pretty horrible and I was very confused were you living on your own at this time yeah, and then I had to, afterwards I had to move in with my mum. But yeah, it was this period where we didn't know what was happening and my family were all suddenly around me and lots of doctors and nurses just looking very um, worried. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not a good sign. And I kept having these different diagnoses thrown thrown at me where the first one was an AVM, arteriovenous malformation, which is a cluster of it's a tanglement of um a tanglement of arteries in the brain, which can kill you. And this is extremely serious. And then we thought, oh no, this is like the worst thing, he's gonna die. <laughs> and then uh I was told, oh no, it's probably not that. It was like an episode of House, you know, where they guess all the different yeah. things. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was fun for some of the junior doctors, I guess, but not so much for me. <laughs> no. Um, and then, yeah, I just had these different diagnoses. And in, in that time where I was trying to work out what was going on, I kept having these seizures where, I, where I'd gone conscious. Just before that would happen, I'd think I'm I'd, uh, I'm I'm dying. <laughs> so it's this feeling where just 
you feel powerless and you're accepting that you're probably going to die. Mm. Um, did you did you have any warnings that they were coming on? Yeah, I'd get an aura before each one where an aura is kind of like um it's described it's described as a feeling of impending doom. <laughs> kind mm. of sounds like a horror story or um but I had um pins and needles down my throat and I would start sounding like I was drunk. My speech would be very slurred would get slurred and sometimes the speech would completely go. I'd either lose the ability to think of words or form them form them. Um and I had impaired movement down my right side just suddenly and that felt very odd. Um and I wasn't my balance wasn't there. I still wasn't able to get out of bed, so I was just in the hospital. And this was going on for a number of days uh, until I had another scan and then I was told, oh, this actually looks like a cavernous hemangioma, which is a cluster of abnormal blood vessels. And that was their best guess. And the seizures persisted and they were getting worse and worse to the point where um, my family were extremely concerned and thinking you can't carry on like this. On the NHS, uh, I was told I'd have to wait eight months for an operation because they didn't think it was a, a brain tumor. <laughs> so they thought, oh, I'll just leave it there. And if he's, you know, if these seizures are looking more like they're going to kill him, then and not controlled with the medication that we're pumping him with, then we might consider an operation, but it would still be quite a long wait. Um, and so we decided to go private for an operation. Um, and then I immediately had surgery. And afterwards, my seizures were still terrible and I was put on more medication. And I was just feeling awful despite thinking so I knew something wasn't right because it didn't feel like it was not a brain tumor I was told at that point it's not a brain tumor you can have an operation it'll be fine so when they, when they did the operation what 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 did they find did they well, did they not see it at that point uh <laughs> Well, on the discharge note, on the discharge letter, it still said cavernous hemangioma. Right. I saw the letter, um, but that's not what it was. So uh, after my operation and after I was well enough, well enough <laughs> to go home, I was having seizures and not able to walk. But when I was declared well enough to go home uh, over the weekend, on, well, just before the weekend on a Friday evening, I received a phone call from the neurosurgeon who told me, who was very apologetic. He said, I'm so sorry, I, uh, I've got this wrong and, uh, and, and uh, what you actually 
have now what you actually have is uh it's not a cavernous hemangioma it's um a um a, a terminal and incurable brain tumor brain cancer and i've booked you in on tuesday to talk about chemotherapy and radiotherapy <laughs> and he he then said do you have any questions and obviously um speechless you know it's yeah. a, a huge shock you think okay that's that's done and then you're told and he also said and unfortunately i wasn't able to take it all out because i had to leave some disease in the motor strip area of your brain or or if if that would have been attempt an attempted removal you would probably be paralyzed or dead and so <laughs> so it sounds um, it sounds from what you're saying it sounds to me like they did the operation how long after the operation did you go home uh well i had to recover in hospital because there's this thing that neurosurgeons sometimes like to call turbulence <laughs> where your brain takes some time to adjust and you can actually have more seizures after that and more kind of these of these weird symptoms and so i was in uh, must have been about a week that i was or just over a week that i was in this hospital trying to get my speech back and um recovering oh. from all these seizures and then having the staples removed from the operation and yeah yeah so cuz from what you're saying it sounds like he knew what he'd seen but he didn't want to tell you face to face what i just can't understand why no i don't think he did know cuz a... uh, it's only from the histopathology cuz what he thought what he removed he thought uh, it's fine to leave a bit in because it's not a brain tumor and and he couldn't remove it anyway because it was in invading into healthy tissue yeah but because he didn't think that was cancerous he just he wouldn't have attempted to remove it anyway but he there was less urgency to think oh this yeah. is you know, it's fine to leave this so <laughs> yeah it from the histopathology it conf it 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 went against his um feeling of what this actually was yeah and so he was distraught he, you know he thought oh, i've made this horrible error but in fact you know he's, he's seen so many thousands of these and it just looked like this other thing yeah and but so, still yeah. i mean just phoning up on a friday night to leave you stewing all weekend just doesn't seem right i mean that was no, one of the yeah. things that at the phc conference even the doctors were mm. questioning the the way that he dealt with it well i think he was questioning himself because i know that he wanted to let me know as soon as possible but that thinking wasn't the best in no. know, in retrospect so yeah, I always so what, try. I always try and see someone else's point of view, yeah. but uh, I don't think it was. Were you Were you on your own at that point? No, I was with my mum, and she just broke down in tears and was distraught. So it's now, sorry, you carry on with the story because we're on Friday night. He's phoned you up. <laughs> what happened next? 
Um, just a period of just feeling devastated and just speechless and uh, not knowing what to think. And I was still having these seizures at the time. So I thought it's not great anyway. So <laughs> um, yeah, then went on the Tuesday to talk about chemo and radiation and to discuss sperm banking and all of this stuff because I was told uh, you might not have might not be able to have kids so <laughs> let's sort that out and I'm at an age where I'm you know not even really I'm I'm starting to think about these things but I was 27 at the time and I, I was in a relationship but then that ended because of that diagnosis actually um but that's a different story uh, mm -hmm. but yeah just um initially i went ahead with what they were saying because i didn't know anything about brain tumors i didn't know anyone there's no one in my no history of cancer in my family everyone lived to an old age and pretty healthy <laughs> so it was just a huge shock and i thought i was really healthy and doing all the right things so it's very confusing yeah my first thought was just to do start doing research and understand all the things i didn't know and um there was a lot to learn <laughs> yeah so i was trying to understand how to control my epilepsy that was the major thing for me for my quality of life because I'd accepted the prognosis. I'd accepted that I needed to have these treatments because that oncologist is the expert and who am I? But I wanted to know more and I wanted to understand why brain tumors are so difficult to treat and if there was anything I could do to have a better quality of life and to manage the epilepsy because... I couldn't, that it stopped me from living. I uh, had learned about, thank, thankfully I'd learned about the ketogenic diet just before my diagnosis on my nutritional therapy course. And at that time, it wasn't well known. Cancer as a Metabolic Disease just came out, the textbook from Thomas Seyfried. Yeah. So... I got that book. It was actually mentioned in the in the lecture, <laughs> and uh, I dismissed it because I thought, "Oh, this is ridiculous." It's used. It's been used for drug resistant epilepsy in children, but I don't believe any of the anti cancer stuff because there was very little in the literature at the time, and what was there was just a few mouse studies. There weren't even any. Uh, safety and efficacy um, studies that I could see on cancer because I think they were quite limited at that time. Yeah. This was the beginning of 2013. And so I read that book. It was very compelling, but I still was highly skeptical of the anti-cancer benefits. I, um, at that time, put myself straight away on a ketogenic diet just for to manage the epilepsy because I thought, well, it does have uh, efficacy for that. 
purpose and I understood the mechanisms and through just more research and greater implementation and testing, I managed to get into uh, nutritional ketosis and then therapeutic ketosis very quickly. Yeah. I um, then discovered just through more research and through discussions with Professor Seyfried through via email. I was amazed that he got back to me and uh, was very... Um, he was against me or he he warned me he i want to use the right terminology he uh told me about the risks of uh radiotherapy and how that might not be a good such a good idea mm -hmm. had you had uh, any by, uh, by this point yeah uh i did have radiotherapy and chemotherapy for um a period of time but then once I'd learned more about my tumor, I decided to abandon it because I found that I didn't have any so-called beneficial mutations that would uh, sensitize the tumor to chemotherapy and radiotherapy that I was having. Yeah. So yeah, I decided to abandon that. And I was actually quite angry at the time because I wasn't told... Um, wasn't told about these mutations and that I didn't it that it wasn't it may it may have not been beneficial but that yeah it's just speculation I don't know but at the time at the, at the initially when they said that it was a terminal and incurable cancer mm -hmm. did they give you any timelines or any prognosis of what what life would be like at that point yeah, they didn't want to, but I asked and I insisted. And so uh, it was likely to be two to five years. Okay. Five years being on the positive end. Um, yeah. But it was very confusing in light of just how my tumor was very unique in many ways. In some bad ways, unique, and in some good ways, possibly. Uh, because it looks like from from how it from the presentation, it looks like it's a possibility. This is just a theory, but it's a possibility that it it previously was a cavernous hemangioma that over time underwent malignant transformation into a, a highly aggressive brain tumor, mm. and there are. Since since I uh, had the, interestingly since I had that theory, uh, it appears to have been confirmed by a number of case studies where I've seen the same phenomena happening, and um, it makes sense in many ways, but it's not a good thing. <laughs> no, yeah, and so yeah, it. And I and I'd had the um, the the tumor resequenced for to to try and um, to try and confirm the diagnosis because it was quite hazy at first and but every every time I had it retested it came out just being the same thing just really aggressive you know <laughs> not 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 uh, not good but um, 
yeah, to cut a long story short, over time, uh, my seizures were actually being better managed. Uh, initially, initially, with my diet implementation, even though I was hitting great uh, markers on my on my um, ketone meter for my blood ketones and and my blood glucose. I was at, my seizures were actually getting worse initially, uh, and then I thought about just um, changing my diet. And over time, I excluded various things and I added uh, magnesium in different forms. And I removed more and more plant foods because I found they were triggering my seizures more and also my trigeminal neuralgia that I'd that I'd um, suffered as a result of the damage to nerves in my um, temporomandibular joint around that area yeah and so yeah just over time I'd managed to get resolution to these persistent issues by excluding just it had the, in the end it was all plants from my diet and uh i because i was wary of then having a diet that might be deficient in some way i started to look at ancestral populations and i looked at um looked into eating organ meats and uh, even insects at one point to get nutri- nutrition that I thought I would that I might be lacking from eating this way and so I stumbled upon what um, I stumbled upon this kind of uh, carnivorous ketogenic diet which I didn't even think was a thing Yeah, and I found it was the same thing that I was doing <laughs> yeah, cutting um, up plants. So it, yeah, it was unheard of at that time. So I thought it was a very strange thing to be doing, but uh, I felt really good suddenly on it, and my scans were actually showing improvement, and so that encouraged me to go further into it. And then I added, well, I was already taking boswellic acids, and another aspect of this is that I I was taking boswellic acids for the inflammation in my brain um, from just brain swelling. And so what is, sorry, what is boswellic acid? I've never heard of it. Yeah, so uh, the, mo- the most, it's, it's mainly from frankincense. Okay. It's how most people know it from. Frankincense has different boswellic acids in it. And the main one for um, neuroinflammation that has the most evidence is Boswellia serrata. And very early on, I knew that this was beneficial for uh, brain swelling. And so, and it's, there are actual studies to show that it can help you to get off dexamethasone, which is commonly prescribed for a number of cancers for that kind of inflammation you get 
And so I wanted to come off those drugs because what they do is they actually, in the short term, they're really good, but in the longer term, they can, longer term and short term, but that they increase your uh, blood glucose levels to the the amount of a type two diabetic. So <laughs> it's not yeah. what you want uh, going further on. So yeah. I wanted to come off them as quickly as I could. So I had really high dose Boswellia serrata to 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 wean off and then come off that. So can I ask a couple of questions? Are we still in 2013 at this time? Or yeah. have we moved? We're still in <laughs> still, 2013. Still, it is a busy year, 2013. Um, yeah. um, had, at this point now, had you stopped radiotherapy and chemotherapy? Yeah. Or you was, you'd stopped that. And who suggested the boswellic acid? And It was just from my research just very early on. So did you straight after my... su supplement it yourself or yeah. did you... You just did that yourself. Yeah, it's just a supplement you can get. And I realized you can take really high doses of it. Okay. And to get anything past the blood-brain barrier, you tend to need high amounts of these things to get yeah. therapeutic doses. So, so I just yeah, did gone. that. Yeah. So was so was um Thomas Seafried um still helping you and messaging you or were you managing this all by yourself? Uh, initially he was helping me, but then, yeah, I was just doing my own thing and experimenting using myself as a human guinea pig reluctantly, but I had nothing to lose. I actually put myself on an anti-seizure drug, which is known to, uh, be complementary to the ketogenic diet. But with most brain, with most patients who have brain tumor related epilepsy, they don't want you to be on this drug because the side effects are pretty bad. But I knew that it complemented a ketogenic diet and I knew that it had this anti-cancer benefit for brain tumors and potentially other cancers too, but uh, specifically for brain tumors. So I, I thought I'm already having, I'm still having seizures on this high dose of um, Keppra, which is the main one. It's, it's the main one they put you on and so um i decided to add another drug <laughs> <laughs> and so did uh, you have to buy that over the internet or no what did i had you it do? i had it prescribed because it's an anti-seizure drug and i was still having seizures so because because i'd argued to have it and because the other drug wasn't working they were happy to give they were happy to prescribe it to me oh good yeah and uh, at the time they thought the only real risk is in or that the biggest risk is in women because it can cause uh, deformations of your child if you're planning on having a child the fetus can get deformed and it's pretty horrible like easy for me to say but um, yeah, they they now know it happens in men as well, but they didn't know at the time. Yeah. So that sperm sample that I gave at the time would have been pretty useless. I knew anyway because it had deformed. Uh, the morphology was just terrible. There were some of the some of my swimmers had two heads or two, like three tails and just it's, looked odd. Yeah, but yeah, that's another story. But yeah, I had I um. 
put myself on this drug because I realized it could be repurposed as an anti-cancer drug. And it's what it is, is it's um it's actually a short chain fatty acid. So it's it's active, it's doing something in the gut and it's having that gut brain connection. That's one of its mechanisms of action. And I learned that it complements ketogenic diet. So it's interesting that over that time my scans showed improvement and it seemed to correlate with that time period where I was very strict keto and I was on this drug. So did you feel you were making progress at that time? Initially, no, because I felt horrible. Oh. And uh, but but then initially, no, but then I had this rapid upswing and I felt much better. And it was like night and day. Just I stopped having I, I stopped having the, the seizures I was having, the really bad ones. Yeah. And I only had a few focal seizures and that was truly life-changing and eventually i got my confidence back yeah unfortunately um around that time my mum was diagnosed with cancer caused by a medication she was taking <laughs> and so mentally i was dealing with a number of issues uh but i became more determined to find solutions and to study more so i went back to university because i was stop i stopped having seizures and my scans looked good so i went back to study cancer biology and to learn more about how i could help myself and the main principles of what i followed with my therapeutic ketogenic diet and all of the testing and everything I was doing and all the experiments was based on keto pet. I don't know if you know the keto pet sanctuary. No. In the US, they, what they do is they treat dogs with, uh, dog, lots of dogs have brain tumors just like humans. Yeah. And so what they do is they treat these dogs with very strict ketogenic diets hyperbaric oxygen therapy, keto nesters, um, and just keeping active and monitoring everything. And I, I, I found out about this quite early on. And so my therapeutic ketogenic diet and the exogenous ketones and keto nesters and everything that I was doing was closely following the dog's diet. So <laughs> I thought um, that the main problem with humans doing this kind of therapeutic ketosis where it's a four to one ketogenic diet and it's very, you're weighing everything and you're fasting and it's all very regimented. One of the main problems in humans is that they have human emotions and they might emotion eat emotionally yeah. or, you know, a, a dog isn't going to drive themselves to McDonald's at 2am and have, you know, a big milkshake, yeah. Fries, you know. <laughs> so I thought I'm going to treat myself like these dogs, where I'm just going to be really regimented and just do it very strictly. And so I did. And I had blood testing regularly and made sure I was doing everything as well as I could. I lost a lot of weight, but 
my scans looked good and I stopped having seizures. So yeah, after all that uh, investigation and all that studying, we are where we are now. And um, I've had some improvements even in my scar tissue, which I didn't think would be possible. And I'm now reluctantly, I've decided to pursue a PhD. So that's going to happen. <laughs> I've been putting that off for a, a while, but because I'm already doing um, a cancer study at, at the University of West, Westminster, which is a self-funded study. Is that with Isabella Cooper? Yeah, I'm part of her research group. And we've got an interesting paper that's coming out in the next few weeks, actually, which I'm not able to talk about, unfortunately, but it's uh, really interesting. <laughs> we'll have to come back when it's all released. Yeah, because that, that study and uh, Isabella's previous work actually forms the basis of the control groups for our cancer study. Because mm. it's uh, healthy individuals and comparing against the cancer cohort and yeah unfortunately i can't say too much no. apart wow. from that but <laughs> it's um related to my story which is kind of cool it's what i've wanted to do ever since i went back to studying that was my whole purpose and the reason why this study is self-funded is because since 2015 i've been having discussions with my oncologist and his research team about doing this kind of research but there's always roadblocks in your way and so much admin and it's really hard to do unless you are self-funded and do it yourself so I thought I'd do it this way <laughs> and Isabella was on board she's been a friend of mine for a number of years now because uh, we we're both at we, when I went to go back to university to study, she was starting, so we it coincided. And is uh, that when you did the yeah. cancer biology? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> okay. And uh, yeah, we we were just because uh, at, at first it felt very isolating at university because i had some issues with the nutrition society <laughs> some controversy <laughs> and now why doesn't that surprise me <laughs> and there was a lot of attention placed upon me after my story was picked up by new scientist magazine in 2016 and suddenly i managed to change a lot at the university where even some of the lectures were changed because they had false information about uh being in a state of ketosis and uh, the impact on the liver and all these things and i managed to get that changed which is pretty cool <laughs> yay yeah yeah Excellent. and then um a more awareness of conditions like glut one deficiency syndrome which is a condition um in children who have this form of drug-resistant epilepsy characterized by um, a dysfunction of uh, glucose transporters in the brain. Yeah. So their brain's not able to use glucose properly for energy, so they're constantly having seizures. And in the lectures that I was involved in changing, 
<laughs> over time there was this idea that that um that the brain could only use glucose for energy and that it there's no real benefit from uh from having ketones supplying any of the energy so they these, they were saying these, that that it's not yeah um i'm not explaining it well but it the the there was this coming up and then i said well what about glut one deficiency syndrome whereby you can circumvent this process where that glucose is having this effect on the neurons where there's this hyperexcitability you could circumvent that with supplying the brain with ketones and uh lowering the glucose yeah. and why would that be possible if you know <laughs> if this is if this is a, a fact that you're stipulating and I, and then that garnered some interest and then over time i managed to get that changed and so yeah because if that the the because the, the in this syndrome well in this condition uh, a ketogenic diet is able to prevent these individuals having seizures because you're yeah you're circumventing that process and it doesn't matter that the glucose transporters are not functioning because the brain is get and the central nervous system is getting energy in this way and then it stops it stops them having seizures the medication's not stopping it but being in this state of ketosis is yeah because you can supply your brain with yeah with the energy it needs to function so there's a few things here when you initially questioned the lecturers and what was going on at the university it was at university at that point yeah <laughs> did you did you have any pushback were they sort of trying to poo poo it and say no you're wrong yeah or... i had a lot of pushback until just more evidence came to light and it was easier to just supply that oh well well done <laughs> you for for persisting and insisting and then the other thing is you said you were on a 4 to 1 diet so for those listening they might not know that's 80% fat and 20% protein i'm guessing how how did that was, appear in your diet i mean what were you actually eating to get that 80% fat i was eating a lot of egg yolks yeah a lot of seafood because i was very conscious of the omega 3 and 6 ratio I was eating sweetbreads because they're very ketogenic in terms of their ratios. They're mostly fat. Um sweetbread by the way is the pancreas and the thymus gland. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say how it's was not, that uh, baked goods? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, so how how was that to eat? Uh it was an acquired taste, so it took time to get used to it, but then I loved it in the end. Um Yeah. Maybe I should try. Yeah. I haven't tried. <laughs> but I lost a, I lost a ton of weight doing that and I didn't have much to lose anyway. So now my diet is more like um, a ketovore diet. It's now a thing. <laughs> yes. Where is it still quite high fat? Uh well, 
in relative terms, yes, but compared to what it was, not like high, high fat, but it is high fat in terms of like um, it's a th- it's a th- I'd say it's a three to one ketogenic diet. Yeah, three to one and two to one rather than four to one. Yeah, and so are you eating plants now, or you have you you've eliminated all plants? Well, I have um, some plants, like I have um, avocado, olives, um, macadamia nuts, which it's a nut, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I have uh, sauerkraut. Yeah. Do you make it yourself? Yeah. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh. excellent. Yeah. Um, those are the main th- olives, I think I mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, just those foods, really. And do you are you still supplementing with ketones or do you find that you're making enough yourself? I used to because uh I wanted to get more into exercise and I found that it increases my seizure threshold for exercise. Because exercise used to be a big trigger for me. It's not so much now. And now I actually have a lot of fitness goals and I've put on good weight. So my I, the goalposts have shifted my main goals now were athletic and trying to get fitter (laughs) in various ways and so you've gone from a diagnosis of two to five years terminal uh, incurable cancer and now we're 10 years down the line coming up for 11 years down the line really yeah fabulous that's fabulous news do you still get symptoms well, not so much anymore, only if I go off my diet. Okay. So I occasionally measure my blood ketones and my blood glucose. Yeah. Because I find if it slips out of my therapeutic range, I instantly have seizures again. And so, so I try and avoid that. Keeps you on track, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But my seizure threshold has vastly improved. And also I'm able to tolerate... Um, more foods now so yeah i'm just (laughs) cool so you're now doing this study what you're gonna do a phd what are you doing your phd in so i'm just working that out now actually (laughs) (laughs) okay because it's 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 involved with the cancer study i'm doing yeah and so it's doing the same thing that i'm already doing but it's getting some credit for it Excellent. And some it allows you to have more influence and more. I'm allowed to have I'm allowed to have my name further up on the paper on any research papers because at the moment my name is about fourth or fifth on any papers. You could push it further just up by, just by a title. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and there are people. There are people who I probably shouldn't say this, but there are people who either contribute very very little or don't contribute at all. Who can have their names further up on the research paper because just, of just because of their title, their title, and probably or how many they papers they've in somewhere? Yeah. So, <laughs> what are you in a position to? Because I'm, I think probably life felt very precarious at some points. Do you feel more hopeful now and able to look ahead and make plans? Yeah, I'd say so. Just um. I've got lots of exciting things on the horizon and I'm really excited about the research I'm doing. 
And I have more of a work-life balance now. So I don't take myself too seriously. <laughs> Even though the work I'm doing is very serious. And I try to try to enjoy life as much as I can. Mm. So I I I like how I can get back involved with exercise because that was an issue before I was always doing a lot of walking. Even when I was having seizures, I had um I had a step by my bed, like an aerobic step. Yeah. And I would just go up and down on that with weights. See? And I had a pull-up bar that I would just go up and down on uh, where every time I walked past it. So I was still very active, even that, uh, in, even in between having seizures. <laughs> well done. Well done, you, because you can do pull-ups. I cannot do any yet. Uh, I think it, a lot of it's a skill because I've always been able to do a lot. And yeah. I have an athletic background. I used to play um, badminton for Berkshire. And I trained with the national team a couple of times as well at that stage. So um, I guess I think I also think having that kind of sports and that athletic background allowed me to be very strict with my diet. And it's that mindset of having a goal that you're visualizing and sticking to it and also uh, framing it in a positive way. So yeah. you're not feeling like you're not feeling like you're suffering, and it's it's you it's using it's embracing suffering, which which might sound like an odd thing, but I've learned to really embrace it so it can build me up. Yeah, it's not knocking me down; it's allowing me to be more resilient, and I'm seeing the end goal. So when it, whenever you're trying to push for something, it has to come with some suffering to build you up. Yeah, and and it needs to come intrinsically. So from within, it's something that you feel that you that you want to achieve, and that that pushes you through any sacrifices that you have to make. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of future life, and you may not want to answer this, and that's fine. <laughs> Do you see yourself having a family? Do you? Th you said your sperms weren't very good when you spanked <laughs> them. Do you think there's any change in them now that you're more healthy? Oh, yeah, there's definite change because I had a retest 10 years later. <laughs> um, but the family thing, I'm not sure about. Uh, even relationships, I'm not sure about because I was in quite a serious relationship quite recently whereby I nearly got married even. And she... Uh, she used to work for brain tumor research. I don't. She won't mind me mentioning this, but she um, had an. She actually had an inoperable brainstem glioma. And initial. This is important to mention. Actually, um, initially she tried a drug cocktail approach with just. We tried all these different things. And we tried a really strict ketogenic diet and things continued to actually get worse. And she was just in a, an extremely stressed state. And I think if you're in that kind of state and you're bombarding your system and bombarding your liver with 
all of these repurposed drugs, even though individually they're very safe and have all this evidence behind them. And then you're trying to go on this ultra strict diet. It's too stressful. And so for her, um, at this, at this stage, we, I, I was, it got to the point where she was hallucinating and vomiting a lot and lost a ton of weight and was really, this is a, a, a kind of uh, tumor that you can't treat. So I, we were preparing for her to, to, to be gone. <laughs> mm. And um, so she returned to where she's from. Uh, what say where? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, to live with her parents and just to, you know, to be comfortable. Oh, yeah. And I ha- I went over there a few times. This was over COVID times where no one was flying, and <laughs> I was flying on an empty plane, which was weird in itself. Yeah. And uh, it was a roller coaster of different emotions, and. There was over one Christmas, or one way well, yeah, I went over there for Christmas, and over that Christmas, I had an emotional goodbye, thinking I wasn't going to see her again. And as a last resort, we thought, okay, let's try just focusing on a few things, and it might just help your quality of life or to help you sleep better because she was having issues with sleep. And so we had her on uh, dichloroacetate, uh, melatonin, and uh, occasionally metformin. And the other thing was to have a low-carb diet, but don't be too stressed about it. And if you have something that's a bit higher carb, just take the metformin. And so as time went on, her tumor started to shrink and then... She was in a wheelchair at this time because um, the disabilities got so bad. Her tumor was starting to shrink. She was becoming more mobile. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, a few years on, <laughs> a couple of years on, um, it continues to shrink. And she's seen as kind of like a medical marvel where she is now. <laughs> and... Uh, where yeah it got to the point where it was so when it was bad it got to the point where it was so bad that um even when she was getting this response where the tumor was shrinking it was just too much for me emotionally and i had a bit of a breakdown Mm. and so that relationship ended but we're still really close and it's incredible what's it happened. The reason I mention all of this is because it shows another example of doing the same thing where you're the ketogenic diet is acting in the same way as or in a similar fashion to dichloroacetate, which was the main agent that I believe has caused her tumor to shrink. Yeah. And with the combination of the melatonin, I think that has a synergistic benefit. And so, yeah, it's it's good to point out that in some 
circumstances, it may not be necessary to do things the way that I've done it. There's other, there's yeah, there's a number of ways to skin a cat. But, but you it, were you were open thing, to trying different, different things. Yeah, and interestingly, I found that because I'd investigated dichloroacetate for my tumor, and I found for me it would unlikely it would it would be unlikely to benefit me. Mm. But it definitely benefited her. So probably early days for thinking about a new relationship. Um, yeah, I'm just not in that headspace i can't see it (laughs) because i also just really like being on my own and having the control of that and so are you back living on your own now yeah and how's your mum uh sadly my mum passed away in 2019 due to medical negligence oh i'm sorry but yeah it's uh that was the story from the start because her cancer was actually caused by uh, drug she was taking that she didn't know had a risk of esophageal cancer. That's sad. Yeah, but um, from it, I uh, have highlighted that issue with people who are researching that area and uh, have been helping them with their research because they've been able to push that forward, which it's some kind of consolation, but. Also, she had a really good life before that, so could be worse in terms she's of probably young. Uh, she looked young. <laughs> uh, she was sixty-eight when she yeah. died. Too young. Yeah. Yeah. My dad died at sixty-seven, and mm. I feel that was too young. Yeah. So, Andrew, is there anything that we haven't spoken about tonight that you would like to mention? Uh, well, I have my own podcast, <laughs> but um, I'm very lazy with it. It has some good episodes, though. Excellent. One of one of the things I would mention is the contrast agent. I I I don't have contrast because I feel like I'm not saying this is for everyone, but I feel like it's uh, definitely overvalued, and there's some evidence to suggest that it can impair immunity and it can contribute to the uh, Warburg effect in not a nice way. And there are other issues uh, with it, potentially. Mm. So that's one thing that people don't talk about so much, but is worth uh, investigating. I think it's possible that it could have benefited me not having it. So for the listeners, maybe can you just maybe spend a couple of minutes and explain the Warburg effect. Yeah, so what all it is is it's just saying that um, cancer cells don't uh, aren't able to use ox- oxygen effectively and so they ferment glucose uh, and yeah, they, they lactate and they just... Um, they pr- that's why they predominantly use uh, glucose for energy because they're not they're not the mitochondria is defective and they're not able to uh, they're, they're not able to respire effectively. Yeah, and yeah, they they develop these hypoxic pockets and they rely on 
glucose for energy. predominantly for fuel. Also glutamine. Uh, and when it's very advanced, uh, other amino acids and nucleic acids. But uh, Which is why I think the feeling is that a ketogenic diet is beneficial for many cancers because we're not consuming as much sugar or hardly any sugar, which yeah, so allows the one to to produce more oxygen, but also they have less sugar to feed on and therefore yeah, it's more it's, controlled. It's having an effect on insulin uh, and insulin-related growth factors, which cancer thrives on to yeah. grow and to spread. And so I think it's an oversimplification when people just mention sugar because it's that insulin which is a growth hormone yeah yeah so even things like uh reducing meal frequency is very important because e even if you're eating a ketogenic diet and you're constantly eating <laughs> you're constantly giving Raising your insulin. body that signal um yeah. yeah so did you did you do a lot of fasting and do you do a lot of fasting now yeah, I've done a lot of fasting, but I can get addicted to it. So I need to limit myself because uh, mm. before my diagnosis, I had uh, issues with disordered eating. And I had a stage where I was actually in an eating disorders hospital. And actually, uh, the ketogenic diet has helped my eating disorder because I don't have those behaviors anymore. <laughs> yeah, I I don't have tendencies to restrict my eating to the point of being anorexic, and I don't I don't make myself sick anymore. I don't have these uh, compulsions over food because you're not eating those foods that are more likely to trigger you to. Yeah, and I also think purge, my probably. I also think my brain chemistry has changed fav favorably. Where I don't yeah. get those depressive episodes that trigger those, those, uh, ac those actions. Mm. So at the t at the time, it was quite that was quite isolating and confusing because I was in this eating disorders hospital and it was all women and I was the only I was just a young man. There. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, it'd been after I'd grown after I'd grown and developed enough because that was when I was sixteen. Yeah. But I wow, you've fun. had. You've had <laughs> gone through the mill, haven't you? Yeah, but it's made me who I am now and what, I'm, what allowed me to do what I'm doing now. So, Yeah, and it sounds like you're going to go bad. on and do great things. So we I shall think, watch. Yeah, I think you can either let these things destroy you or you can let them build you up. Yeah. Sounds like you're definitely building up. <laughs> Yeah. And I'm excited to see what what you're going to be doing in the future. Yeah, so, I'm optimistic. How can people connect with you? Tell us about your podcast, what it's called. How um you've got a you write as well. So tell people how they can follow you. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter or X as it's now called. No one calls it that, but I'm on Twitter as uh, at ascarbs. And I have a podcast, as you mentioned. Uh, it's called The Human Guinea Pig Project. It's available on 
Apple Podcasts and I think it's on Spotify as well. Might not be, but you can always search for it. It's easy to search for. Yeah. And I have a sub stack. It's just my name where I write about uh, my thoughts and experiences with research into brain tumors. And I have a YouTube channel, which sometimes I put stuff on just when I feel like <laughs> it's all very casual. Um, and about the gadolinium, I have a couple of uh, videos on that, but my YouTube videos get have been taken down recently, so I don't know how long those are going to be on there. But yeah, I have some interesting interviews with um, a leading researcher on that issue, so... Yeah, I'd recommend put them on Rumble or Odyssey or something. Yeah, I've started doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I had one on dichloracetate that got taken off YouTube, so I put that on Rumble. Excellent. Yeah, perhaps we it's should a good interview. YouTube. Brilliant. Maybe you're sending the link, and we can include it in the show notes. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. So before we finish, I'm going to ask you for your three top tips. And it can be around anything. Um, so it might be to do with cancer, but it might not. Well, I'd say a big top tip, which is what I do every morning, is to start the day with a walk in the daylight as the sun's coming up. Because that sets you up perfectly for the day and it sets your circadian rhythm. And that's vitally important for health and well-being. Yeah. So also, you... also, the other thing is, when you're at that stage in the morning, a walk can actually lower your levels of cortisol, and it can allow you to be more ketogenic because you're in a fasted state. And I find, personally, if I have any kind of neurological issues in the morning, then I can actually walk it off. There's a good book... Uh, called i think it's called the brain's way of healing i might get that wrong but yeah <laughs> it's a good book and it talks about how the effects of uh going for a long walk what that has the the effects it has on the brain it's so how long profound. do you walk for i average around twenty thousand steps a day in the morning uh well for it i'd guess the morning is around 8,000 steps. Okay. I do it by steps, but I know distance-wise what that is likely to be. It's like And time-wise, what's, what's that? For me, oh. it's about 45 minutes because I walk quite fast. Okay. <laughs> I do running as well, but that's a new thing, and I don't run more than 10K because I think that's too stressful on the body. Yeah. So I'm just going to, for the listeners, just going to mention that the starting the day with the walk in the sunlight is with no glasses or contact lenses. You need mm -hmm. to allow the sun into your eyes to make Helps it important. you to sleep better at night because you've set your circadian, circadian biology room. in a way that's, yeah. Yeah. What do you do in the winter when it's dark? Do you still walk in the dark? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, um, otherwise, I don't, just mentally, I don't feel good. And I force myself to feel uncomfortable. Even if I don't want to do it, I think, if I don't do this, how am I going to feel? And I know what the answer is. So I force myself to do it. Yeah. 
Okay, that's tip number one. Tip number two. Tip number two is related to that. Just make yourself uncomfortable. Be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I like that because you can you can grow from it and build resilience. Yeah, you'll hate it at the time, but you you will be thankful for it later. I like that. Number three. Number three is to have a sense of purpose, but don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. Because I think we can all do that, and people have uh, thing. People just let um, things stress them out too much, and then, in the grand scheme of things, you realize these things aren't that important. What is important is having a connection with your community, or if you believe in God, having a connection with God. I'd say I believe in God. But I wouldn't say I'm religious in any way, but um, yeah, I've been conflicted about that in the past, whether I say I'm religious or not. But I definitely am a strong believer in God and prayer and the power of prayer, and and um, also I feel like I have a calling to do what I'm doing. So yeah, I yeah. have a strong belief in that. Yeah, I can. I, I'm with you on that. In that, it doesn't need to be a set religion mm. that you're following. You can believe in a god or a higher power or a being or whatever that is that is leading, guiding, helping you, without it being associated with a formal religion. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew, thank you so much for being with me. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been a brilliant conversation. And I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. And, uh, thank you for doing this. Uh, I know that uh, it, these stories have a powerful impact and I appreciate everything you do. I think it's it's a great thing. Thank you. And thank you for sharing because I think, you know, one of the things that I've taken away from you is hope that what you've been told doesn't have to be. It might be, but it doesn't have to be. And that there are things that we can do ourselves to empower ourselves, to feel better, to make a difference to our bodies. And, you know, maybe more people will start thinking, what can I do to help myself, whether it's a cancer or diabetes or heart issues whatever it is they look to you and other people like you and say well if he can do it maybe i can too and i think that gives people a beacon of hope yeah i think so thank you thanks it would be great if you could support us through patreon go to patreon.com forward slash fabulously keto and you can choose the monthly amount you wish. Can you recommend a guest we can interview? If you can, click on the link in the show notes to send us your recommendation. Would you like to join our Facebook group? Search for Fabulously Keto on Facebook. Our Facebook page is called Fabulously Keto and you can follow us there. Or you can follow us on Twitter, our handle is fabulouslyketo or follow us on Instagram 
Fabulously Keto One. Did you enjoy the show? Let us know you listened by tagging us in your Insta story or Instagram post using the handle Fabulously Keto One and the hashtag TFKP. All the links are on the website and in the show notes. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, click the subscribe button. Reviews help us to be found and reach new listeners. Please leave a review of our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We appreciate you taking the time and read them all. Disclaimer. The information in this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. Nothing in this podcast can be taken as advice. Whether our guests are doctors, healthcare professionals or not, they're only sharing their own opinions and stories and this does not constitute a doctor-patient relationship. It's always best to seek professional medical advice should you wish to make any changes to your current medication or treatments. Also speak to your own doctor if you have any concerns about your health or you wish to make lifestyle changes, especially if you're taking medication.